0: For some, the income tax provision might be like Stonehenge, a mysterious and enchanting thing, the origins of which are an unsolvable riddle of human ingenuity. While it's totally understandable to be intimidated by the complex calculations behind a tax provision, in reality, they're calculated by clearly delineated steps which can be learned on today's episode of the Fiona show tax provision. We're going to shine a light on that seemingly esoteric process by which a tax provision is completed. And to help us do that, I'd like to welcome back our guest tax provision expert, Howard Telson. Howard, thanks so much for being on the show again. Hey, Matt, it's great to be back. So, Howard, we'll be focusing mostly on calculating an annual provision today, knowing where this is for a company, knowing how these procedures go. Why not quarterly?
1: As we talked about you know, a bit on the past couple episodes, generally a company has to do a provision on a quarterly basis. So for Q1, Q2, Q3, and then on an annual basis for the full year. So if we think about a calendar, you're a taxpayer for now. That would be, you know, quarterly for Q1. So that would be 331, Q2 would be June 30th and Q3 would be September 30th. And then year end would be, you know, 1231 the full year. So today we're focusing on an annual provision and the process around how you do an annual provision. And the reason why we're making that delineation is because they're really two different animals. And an annual provision is really a more detailed version and where you really need to nail down everything with actual numbers and on a quarterly provision, there's a couple of different methodologies to doing them, but kind of the, the most prevalent is using a more estimated process. So a process where you're using estimates, you're projecting out numbers for the full year, and then you're, you're kind of using those projections and using estimates to kind of work around and build your provision out. So it's a bit of a different process. It's a bit more high level, a bit simpler. You don't have to do all the steps we're talking about today, but you do have to do some. And we're gonna kind of dedicate a future episode to talking about quarterly provisions and the differences between quarterly and annual. But we thought you know, having the basis and kind of an understanding of what an annual provision is and the process around it was a great place to start. And that will kind of set the foundation for understanding you know, how you do a quarterly provision, which we could talk about in the future.
0: Of course. We've set the stage with the annual provision. Where do we begin? What's the first step in arriving at an accurate tax provision?
1: Right. So the very first step in a provision, which you could do even before your year end kind of happens, is what's called the return to provision calculation. And this goes by a few different names, but it could also be called the return to accrual calculation or an RTP or an RTA for short
0: of course, and it wouldn't be accounting if there weren't multiple names and abbreviations for the same item. This also, in effect, ends up being like a true up for the prior year's provision balances to match the previous tax return, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, So let's think about kind of the process for doing a provision. And let's, you know, I love examples. So let's use an example, once again, of a calendar year company, right? So they have a year end of 1231, and they have to issue financial statements generally within a couple months after year end. So in the US for public companies, the SEC sets certain deadlines and generally most public companies and, and many private companies will end up filing their financial statements within the first couple months after the year end. So let's just take right now we're in 2021. For year ends ending 12 2020 many companies have filed their financial statements already. So most public companies would have filed their financial statements in February or March. That's kind of financial statements you do right after year-end, pretty quick process. So then tax returns, we talked a little bit about on the last couple episodes, the due dates of tax returns, but in the U.S. for corporations, the tax return is due the same due dates as individuals. So It would generally be due on april 15th 2021 related to a 2020 tax period but what most companies do is they extend they're able to extend their tax return for six months so they file an extension with the government with the irs or the state taxing authorities if you're in the u.s and then they're able to file their tax return by an extended due date which is generally october 15th so a calendar year 1231 taxpayer will have until october 15th to file their tax return what does this mean? This means that they filed their financial statement in the very early months of the year following their year end. So once again, if we're talking 1231, 2020 as year end, they did their financial statements in you know, about February or March 2021. But then they don't file their tax return until about the summertime usually with the deadline being October 15th of 2021. So there's this kind of gap of many months, usually about six months, between the time you do your provision and the time you do your return. And we talked a little bit about you know, the difference between kind of a provision and a return on, on previous episodes, but generally a provision sort of sets the stage for a tax return. So on the provision, it needs to be materially correct to your financial statements and you get audited to make sure it is materially correct. But on the tax return, it really needs to be almost to the dollar. Correct. There's no materiality in tax returns, it really needs to be correct to the utmost degree. So between that, the financial statement and the tax return, there could be some differences. You know, your financial statement, you're doing kind of on a time crunch, you may not have all the data necessary to kind of finalize these numbers, you'll get them materially correct, but they may not be exactly final. And then by the tax return, you have, you know, the extra time to do this analysis and you really nail down your numbers and finalize. what happens is basically you have a difference in your tax provision calculations and in your tax expense calculations between your financial statement and your tax return. And then you're sort of left with this fact that you already filed your financial statements for the last year. You're not gonna refile them, right? Just because you filed the tax return. So the way it kind of mechanically works is you include this true up related to the prior year. So in our example, related to 2020, you would include this truck in your 2021 financial statements, so you include it in the next year's financial statements.
0: And there's also the point where the return to provision is on that one-year lag, and that also creates a discrepancy, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: So you know, back to our example for a second, we were talking about 2020 financial statements, and how you know you file your financial statements in early 21, and then you do your tax return about six months later at the deadline of October 15, 2021. You do your financial statements early 2020, in the beginning of 2021 related to 2020, and then you use your tax return many months later, but your tax return is filed within the next year and you don't have that data within that year 2020. So you need to record that basically within your 2021 financial statements now, which will be filed kind of in early 2022. So it's like each year you're on this one year lag between your financial statements and your tax return where you file your financials first, Then you file your tax return related to those financials months later. And then you need to true up those previous financial statements filed within your next financial statements.
0: And despite that space, companies can still complete the return to provision early on.
1: That's right. Thinking about our example, now we're in 2021. And if we think about when a company is going to file their tax return, they're going to file it by October 15th at the latest, but likely a bit earlier. So let's say they file it in Q3. So by 9.30, within Q3, they could potentially record that return to provision within their books. So you know for accounting purposes within Q3, they could record that return to provision related to the prior year financial statement kind of early on in the process before they even get into the nitty gritty of kind of year end and the full year information kind of evaluating it, they could end that return to provision process and record it nice and early, basically right after they finalize their tax return.
0: So we have return to provision That's step one, what's the next step? So once your return to provision is
1: done, and and let's just say, you know, we're talking about a calendar year taxpayer that files the return in the summer or by October 15th at the latest. Now you're kind of in a holding pattern and you're waiting until the year end actually happens. If you're a calendar year company, you're waiting for a 1231 to come in and come out. So you have a a couple of months of a lag period between when you file that tax return and when your next period's financial statements start up. wait you know generally that couple months you might try to do some prep work but you know there's only so much you could do because you don't have the final numbers yet and then once the period does close so once you know twelve thirty one does happen and then you know a couple weeks pass the accounting department will be hard at work booking entries evaluating data and kind of going through that process and then once the accounting department gets through all their work and they book all their entries and they record all the periods happenings Then they will kind of summarize all this activity in what's called a trial balance. And this is the key schedule that any tax department would ask for and would need from the accounting department to kind of kick off the provision process. You do return to provision first, but this really kicks off the true tax provision process related to the kind of year-end activities.
0: Let's take a step back right there, at least. What exactly is a trial balance, if we can give a concrete definition for the 101 listeners?
1: We talked a little bit about what makes up a financial statement you know, on the previous episode. So we talked about an income statement, which is a collection of revenue and expenses over a certain period. And we talked about a balance sheet, which is a collection of assets and liabilities and shareholders' equity. And remember, on the balance sheet, the assets need to equal the liabilities and shareholders' equity. That's why it's called a balance sheet. So what a trial balance is, is essentially just a collection of all these items on one schedule. So it's a collection of all the items of revenue, all the items of expense, your assets, your liabilities, your shareholders' equity, all in one schedule. So it's all in one. And as opposed to financial statements, which are kind of at a pretty high level, it's kind of a summarized version. The trial balance is really the detailed version. So it's a very granular approach to kind of showing all a company's accounts, which really represent the activities that they had over the course of the year and all the values associated with those accounts.
0: And what kind of support will an accounting department need to make the trial balance?
1: Now we're talking about, you know, more of an accounting concept, but it really does relate to tax. And, you know, as we talked about, a provision is really the intersection of accounting and tax. And the tax folks really need to understand the accounting data to assess what the tax provision is and to assess the tax rules against this data. So within the trial balance, you have, you know, various items, you have, you have cash, you have property, you have intangibles, that's kind of on the asset side and the liability side, you have accounts payable, you have debt on the shareholders equity side, you have, you know, what kind of equity is held in the company, common stock, preferred stock, paid in capital, And then on the revenue and expense side, you have what kind of revenue did you earn? Did you have interest income? Did you have other types of income? And and what kind of expenses did you have? Did you have salaries and wages, marketing expenses, stock compensation? And this kind of level of detail is the stuff that tax departments really need to look at and need to evaluate and see based on the data in here, what in here could be potentially tax sensitive where you need to kind of look at and say, What could potentially lead to a tax adjustment? What do we really care about from a tax perspective? And what do we need more detail on? What are we just not sure about based on the trial balance that we need to ask more questions on or get more granular with? So that's kind of why it's the starting point, because tax departments will look at this, and it's a great jumping off point to say, okay, what happened during this period of time? And it summarizes everything at a very granular level, so you could really see what happened to a company during a period of time, and then you could say, what do I need to dig into more?
0: Right, and I, I know we're getting deeper into quarter provisions versus annual, but are there occasions such as Q3 in which a company is calculating both their quarterly provision and beginning the process, gathering the documents for the total provision?
1: It's a great question, and Q3 is generally more work than Q1 and Q2 most of the time, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. So. One, you could be doing your return to provision within Q3, as I mentioned, you know, the company may have their tax return kind of finalized and filed at that point. So you may need to do your return to provision within that quarter, in addition to the kind of regular quarterly procedures you're doing on every quarter. And then also, as you kind of alluded to, you may have the ability to start collecting data related to the full year at this point and really start to dig into numbers. So throughout the year, companies will vary in how they do this, but Generally, a tax department that's pretty on top of transactions and other happenings going on at the company, they will update their provision model real time for things as they happen through the quarterly process. And Q three, at this point, you're already nine months in, so a lot has happened at this point, and there's only three months to go. So it's very possible that you kind of knocked out a good amount of the work, you know, by Q three if you really accelerated things and tried to evaluate transactions. And other business happenings kind of early in the process.
0: A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. why should you have to spend your whole RD tax credit on getting your RD tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI driven tax solutions. Request a demo today? Visit xbs.ai slash RD. That's xbs.ai slash RD. So, just to recap for a second, we've covered a lot so far. We've started with our return to provision, which settles any differences between the prior year's tax provision and the current tax return, possibly done as long as six months later. Then we've gathered all the necessary schedules to begin the real work of calculating our provision. The trial balance being among the most important of these documents. The trial balance itself is a detailed list of a company's entire financial activity for a stretch of time and includes their pre-tax income. So that so far, Howard, what's step three? Spot on in the summary. So kind of moving on to to step three. Now we're really getting into the
1: to the nitty-gritty of the provision. So what do you kind of have to do once you have the data in hand ready to go? I think we may touch on this a little bit later, but unfortunately, you know, the data isn't really stagnant. So sometimes it's kind of you're working with a moving target where you get one version of the trial balance and then things change, and then you get another version of the trial balance. So that's been issue throughout this whole process. But for now, we'll just assume that you have kind of a finalized version of the trial balance and the data is kind of locked down. So what do you do from there? You kind of go through the trial balance and you evaluate what the company's income is for, from an accounting perspective. So what's your pre-tax book income or your pre-tax accounting income? And then, you know, as I mentioned before, you kind of evaluate the accounts and you see, okay, what could be tax sensitive here? What could lead to both the tax adjustments or M1 adjustments? And then you go ahead and pretty much do what's called a current provision which is really similar to what you do on a tax return where you you start at your book income and you try to work down to taxable income and the way you kind of bridge the gap between book income taxable income as we talked a little bit about last time is through these m1 adjustments or or book to tax adjustments so you look at your data and you say okay what's tax sensitive what could be leading to an m1 adjustment and then you say okay what are my permanent m1 adjustments that is income or expense for books that will never be income or expense for tax, or the inverse. And then you look at your temporary M1 adjustments, which is income or expense for books that will be income and expense for tax in the future, but it's just currently they're not the same amounts, or you know once again, vice versa. It's basically you have an income item or an expense item that over the totality of the item, a period of time will be the same for book and tax, but in this single period of time or one year, it will not be the same. It reverses over time. It's a timing difference. It's temporary. So you look at these two buckets of items and then you start to work your way down kind of bridging the gap between how you get from book income to taxable income.
0: And we should point everyone in the direction of our prior episode on tax rules versus accounting rules for more information on that front, but a very good summary. We're getting through it. What's step four?
1: Step four is arguably the most complex of the steps and and one that plenty of people find the most confusing. So it's the deferred provision or the deferred roll forward, which is really you're tracking a company's change in the deferred tax asset or liability, really an inventory of deferred tax assets or liabilities over a period of time. And it's usually presented in this roll forward format where you're going from kind of a beginning to an ending balance.
0: There's the roll forward, carry forward, a lot of forward motion. But can you tell us a little bit more about what goes into that roll forward format?
1: So this basically means you have an inventory of all your deferred tax assets and liabilities. Once again, at a pretty granular basis. And they're all listed on a schedule. And on this schedule, you're walking from the beginning balance. So the balance that was your ending balance last year is the beginning balance this year. So you're walking from this beginning balance all the way to your ending balance. And the question is, you know, how do you go from the beginning balance to the ending balance? And you do that really through the current activity of the year. You do that through, you know, potentially whatever your true up was, your return to provision amount. And then there could be potentially other adjustments as well to kind of bridge the gap between the beginning balance and the ending balance. But that's really the way the roll forward is formatted is you're starting at the beginning, there's activity that happens during the year, there's a return to provision, there's potentially other adjustments, and then you get to your ending balance. So then the question becomes, okay, we, you know if we understand the format of how the roll forward works, well, what's included on this deferred schedule? So the main item to kind of mention as what's included are temporary adjustments. We talked a little bit about what a temporary adjustment is, how it's a timing difference, and how for accounting or book purposes and tax purposes, this item of income or expense will be equal over a period of time, like several years, but over a single period, such as one year, the item will be different. So let's think back to an example we talked a little bit about on a previous episode, but we could talk through it again. So if we think about depreciation, right? So depreciation for tax purposes because a tax reform passed in 2017, you're allowed to essentially fully expense an item of equipment purchased that qualifies under certain criteria, but you can immediately expense it for tax purposes. In year one that you purchase this piece of equipment, you fully expense it. So let's just say the the piece of equipment costs a million bucks, you take a full deduction for the million bucks in year one. But now if we think about the accounting rules, the accounting rules say, when you purchase that piece of equipment, you need to depreciate it over the equipment's useful life over a straight line. So let's just say for argument's sake that the accounting rules said that you need to depreciate this piece of equipment over 10 years, which is very possible. It has a useful life of 10 years. Then you would say each year I get $100,000 of an expense for book purposes or accounting purposes. So then in year one, I got the million dollars deduction for tax, but I only got $100,000 of expense for books, so I have this nine hundred thousand dollar M one adjustment or temporary book to tax difference. So I have to account for that. And the question is, how do I account for that? And you really do so in your deferred roll forward. And then the second question is, how do you track the changes going forward in the future? Because in the future, I'm going to have this this accounting depreciation that's going to happen a hundred thousand dollars every year for years two through years ten. But for tax, I'm done. I took the full expense in year one. So how do you track this going forward? And that's really the purpose of this roll forward schedule is to track this difference and track how you're starting at this kind of large difference. And over time, it's accreting and accreting until eventually that difference is zero. At the end of a company's life, these differences should essentially all go to zero if kind of all the activity ended of a company or a company was acquired or something like that essentially all of this activity would go to zero and the roll forward would kind of end. But what happens is, you know, as a company just kind of moves along in their year to year business process, these adjustments go up and these adjustments go down. There's new activity happening all the time that kind of gets jumbled together. And it's just kind of a moving target every year that is just kind of moving up and down with the ebbs and flows of the business. So that's why it becomes a really difficult tracking exercise. And that's why this schedule is, you know, one of the most confusing ones to kind of work through.
0: Indeed. And in the name of keeping things simple, we'll encourage everyone to check out our upcoming episodes on current and deferred provision in detail on our next few episodes. We've got our roll forwards, our carry forwards. We've gotten this far. Then it's on to the total provision. What does that mean? What does that look like?
1: Once you finish your current provision and your deferred provision, the question becomes, how do you get to your actual, what's called really an income tax provision? How do you get to the total provision that's included on your income statement or your profit and loss statement? So on your financial statements, you know, we talked about the income statement and how one of the key components of the income statement is the line that is income tax that eventually gets you to your net income. And the question is, how do you get there? And it's really simple. You really add your current provision, and your deferred provision which is computed based on that roll forward approach, you add those two measures together and you get to your total provision.
0: no, what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions, transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash TP. That's xbs.ai slash TP. So once the total provision has been calculated, is that the end of the provision process? Where do companies go from there?
1: Generally, after you do your total provision, most companies will hop over and they'll calculate their effective tax rate. So, so how do you do that? So you take your total tax expense, which we just calculated as the current plus the deferred provision, and you divide it by pre-tax book income. So this produces the ETR, which is, you know, arguably kind of the most important metric of the tax provision. I just want to take a step back and just think about kind of what goes into this ETR, it's the total provision divided by pre-tax book income. And total provision is composed of current and deferred provisions. So let's just think for a second about what goes into the current and deferred provisions. On the current provision, we start at, at pre-tax book income, and then we have two types of M1 adjustments. We have permanent adjustments, we have temporary adjustments. And then on deferred provisions, we don't have permanent adjustments, we only have temporary adjustments. And, and the reason for that is the deferred provision, you know, as we mentioned, it's a roll forward approach, and it's really tracking book the tax differences over time, and how they reverse, and how they lead to future tax assets and future tax liabilities related to these future reversals of these items. So deferred provisions don't include permanent differences because these are items that never reverse. So while the current provision includes both permanent and temporary, deferred provisions only include temporary. So so this leads us right into, you know, what really drives an effective tax rate? What are kind of some of the key components of what make this up? And one of the key components are permanent differences. And really, the reason why is because the way you get to total tax expense, your total provision, is you add current plus deferred. And the fact that the permanent differences are only in one side of that equation, so they don't cancel out. But on the other hand, temporary differences, you have your current activity or your activity related to temporary differences that relates to this year, you have that in current. And then the activity that relates to future years, you have in the deferred. And they're kind of the inverse of each other. So your current and deferred provisions, which, you know, relating to temporary differences, it nets out to zero. So the impact of temporary differences on the current and deferred provisions, when you add them up, you get to zero. And then when you look at the formula again, you take total provision for an effective tax rate divided by pre-tax book income. So the temporary differences don't make their way into that total provision number because they net out. So therefore, when we talk about, you know, how do we get to this effective tax rate, what's kind of driving it. It's very important to note that it's the permanent differences in terms of tax adjustments that are driving the rate as opposed to temporary differences. So that's one thing to note here. Some other things that kind of go into the rate are if you're in various countries, so if you're in different countries. If we're a US company and you also have operations in let's just say European countries or Asian countries, wherever you may be, your rate, your statutory rate of 21% in the US is gonna go up and down depending on what countries you're in. So if you're in Japan, who has a higher tax rate than the US, that rate could go up. If you're in Ireland, who has a lower tax rate than the US, that rate could go down. So depending on where your kind of structure is, where your kind of income mixes across the world, this is what can kind of drive the rate up and And then another thing that can kind of drive your rate is state tax. So if you're in the U.S. and you're in high state tax jurisdictions like New York or New York City or California, this could drive your rate up as well if you're paying significant state tax. So those are just a few items that are moving the rate, really what people look at when they think about their effective tax rate. And you know when they compare it to themselves over time or to their competitors, they're looking at you know, what kind of goes into this rate? How is it moving over time? How is it going up? How is it going down? You know, what could we do in the future to maybe drive this down further? How are we comparing to our competitors, to the market? This is a highly scrutinized measure, and this is
0: what makes it up, really. And you mentioned these rate drivers. How do credits and other kinds of carry forwards add to all this? When we think about the effective tax rate and what kind
1: of goes into it, you know, I mentioned permanent differences make a difference, and then also what's driving the tax rate directly, like state tax or foreign tax rates. So then there's this other element of tax credits. So how do tax credits influence? So tax credits directly bring your tax expense down. The most kind of prevalent example of a tax credit is the R&D tax credit, so research and development tax credit. So this directly brings your tax expense down. It's a dollar for dollar credit that whenever you compute your tax expense before you kind of consider your credits, then you can kind of bring your tax expense down dollar for dollar. So it's pretty powerful and it produces your ETR. You're directly driving down essentially your total provision through these credits. So it's driving down your ETR and just kind of going back to credits in general, and we could also kind of loop in net operating losses. When a company isn't able to use a credit or isn't able to use a net operating loss because they may be in a loss position, so they may not have tax liability or they may have some other limitation that's kind of hindering their ability to use these losses and credits against their income. These carry forwards of these amounts that could kind of go to the future which is a little bit more of a complex topic that kind of be covered in another episode or even you know, on the R&D podcast. But when we think about these, these are also items that kind of go into your deferred roll forward because they're gonna impact future tax liabilities. So anything that's gonna impact a future tax liability, we talked in detail about temporary differences, but there's other items like these carry forwards, the net operating loss and tax credits that kind of also go into this roll forward approach. So credits really have you know, a pretty powerful impact on the provision in that they could drive down your effective tax rate, but you also need to think about them in the context of your deferred if you're kind of carrying forward credits because you were unable to use certain ones of
0: them. And to find out more about R&D tax credits, check out The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit. Now, we've covered our total provision. That's been calculated. We've accounted for rate drivers, credits, other kinds of carry forwards. Are we done at that point?
1: That's pretty much, you know, kind of the heart of the tax provision calculations. There's a couple other elements that are a little bit more complex that we didn't touch on today, which we could cover in future episodes. But once you kind of go through the steps that we covered, then it's a matter of, okay, you know, I kind of have the data I need now, and now I need to go ahead and produce my financial statements and produce my tax footnote. So once again, we can kind of review what goes into a financial statement you know, it has an income statement and within that income statement, you need your total provision. So we would pull that total provision, the current and deferred provision. And and that's our total provision that goes into our income statement. And then we have a balance sheet that includes our deferred tax asset or liability, which we get from our deferred roll forward, the ending balance of the deferred roll forward, which we talked about before includes, you know, temporary differences. And then also those credit and net operating loss carry forwards. And then finally, we need to calculate on our balance sheet what's our income tax payable or receivable, which we talked a little bit about on a previous episode, but it's basically looking at your current provision and saying, okay, you know, this is my kind of tax expense for the year that I kind of expect on my tax return. And then how much tax have I paid in throughout the year? Have I overpaid from a previous year? Am I underpaid and need a payable or am I overpaid and need a receivable? So those are kind of the main steps. And then, you know, once you kind of get past the core financial statements, the income statement and the balance sheet, then you look at your your tax footnote, the supporting notes, the financial statements, which includes a schedule that reconciles your effective tax rate called the rate reconciliation. And it includes additional details that kind of break out all these items in more detail, like the total provision and deferred tax asset or
0: liability. And once we have those financial statements, the total provision, the deferred tax asset, liability, and income tax payable receivable, all the supporting notes to the financial statements, then, and this is a very, very serious question, it's time to party, correct?
1: (laughs) Once the financial statements are issued, then yes.
0: In which case, I think we can wrap up the show. I'm just going to give a little summary for all of our listeners today. We started with the return to provision, equalizing any discrepancies between the prior year's provision and the current tax return. Then we got all the necessary documents together, including the trial balance, a list of all a company's financial activities. Then we calculated the current and deferred provisions, which took into account temporary and permanent differences between the book numbers and tax rule-derived figures. A permanent difference might be due to something like a penalty a company might have incurred, uh uh-oh, and a temporary difference might show up with something like a depreciating asset. We also factored in rate drivers like tax credits, such as the R&D tax credit, one of Fiona's favorites, We added the current and deferred provisions together to get the total provision, and this allowed us to calculate the effective tax rate, which gives companies a great idea of how well they're actually doing when it comes to their income taxes. And then we put it all in financial statements and partied, and that's the entire process. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank Howard. Howard, thank you so much for being with us today and for another very informative chat. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Don't forget to check out the entire suite of cross-border solutions tax podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast was hosted and mastered by Matthew DeMello, edited by Andrew O'Donnell. Stephen Markow is our associate producer and writes our scripts. We'll catch everyone next time.